What Was That Like? contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. Jeremy lives near Corpus Christi, Texas with his wife, Jennifer. In May of 2018, just a few months ago, they experienced a day that neither of them will ever forget. This was on a Sunday, about 1030 in the morning, and they were getting ready for a family barbecue that was going to happen at their house that afternoon. Jennifer was working in their rock garden, and she came across an aggressive snake. But it wasn't just any snake. This was a Western Diamondback rattlesnake. She called out for Jeremy, and he quickly got a shovel and swung down on the snake and chopped off its head. And of course, if that were the end of the story, it wouldn't really be much of a story, right? Well, a few minutes later, Jennifer's about to let the dogs out in the yard, so Jeremy knows he needs to dispose of the dead snake. As he reaches for a nearby stick, the severed head of that rattlesnake jumps toward him and bites down on his right hand. Jeremy immediately yelled for Jennifer that he's been bit, and he struggles to pry open the jaws of the snake to get it off his hand, all the while feeling the pulsation of the deadly venom that's being pumped into him. Jennifer called 911, and they got in the car to meet the ambulance a couple of miles down the road just to save some time. Now, I'll let Jeremy tell it, but what I find fascinating about this story is how life can end so suddenly and without warning. I mean, Jeremy was just doing routine yard work on a Sunday morning, and literally within 15 or 20 minutes, he's waiting for an ambulance to show up, and he's thinking there's a good chance he's about to die. And he's saying his last goodbyes to his wife and his daughter. Just incredible. Partway through the conversation, we'll hear from Jennifer And the fact that she's a nurse, I think, played a big part in Jeremy being able to survive this. On the website, I'll have pictures of Jeremy, as well as his email address, if you want to contact him. And that's at whatwasthatlike.com forward slash 11. And you can see additional pictures about this story on my Instagram, which is whatwasthatlike. And now, let's hear the whole story from Jeremy. Jeremy, have you, uh, before this happened, have you ever been bitten by a snake before? No, no, never. So this was a, boy, the first time you hit a home run, huh? This was the very first time, yeah. Wow. So tell us about how this happened. Your wife, Jennifer, is just working out in the yard, and and were were you in the house at the time when she- No, I I was outside mowing grass, and she was working around in her garden, pulling out weeds and different kinds of things, and she stumbled across the snake, and- it, it didn't rattle at her or anything. It just kind of sat there and then it started coming after her and kind of freaked her out, cornered her up in the corner of the house, you know, and was striking at her. So I jumped off after she yelled and come down to get the shovel, you know, to try to scoot him out of the way. But 
he was striking at my wife. So, you know, like any other person would, you know, it's, she was cornered in the, like he was cornered outside. Yep. Up against the house and in between the garden area. So she couldn't go anywhere without going past anywhere. Oh man. So you came, uh, you came in as the knight in shining armor with the, uh, with the big (laughs) shovel. So, so you literally chopped, you decapitated the snake. I did. After trying to scoot him away, he just, he was too aggressive and just wanted to bite something. So I cut his head off, tossed him to the side in the garden. And, you know, we figured it was done then. You're in Texas. It's pretty common to see snakes, right? It is pretty common here. Rattlesnakes are pretty common. Yeah. Okay. I'm in Florida. We we have rattlesnakes too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you, have you seen them on your property before? A rattlesnake, no, but we were camping down here when we first came down to Texas, and there was one on the front porch of our camper when we come outside, just a little baby one. Mm. But I hear about them all the time. I see them in the roads, driving up and down the road. You know, they're they're out there. Mm-hmm. It's just something you got to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So you came over and, and chopped the head off of the snake, and obviously that that put the snake out of commission. He wasn't moving or, or attacking anymore i mean he was he was squirming around like you know some like a chicken with his head cut off okay but he wasn't striking at anything anymore you know the head was laying there the body was separate the body was still wiggling you know we thought that was over so as far as you knew he was completely dead as far as i knew he was dead now i've learned that you dig a hole and you bury that head first you know um <clears throat> but you know i i figured it was okay done deal my wife yelled out to me, say she was going to let the dogs out. So that was after she'd been in the house for a while. So I reached down to grab this stick laying out in the garden because I got little, just little dogs. Reached down for that stick and to move the head off the sidewalk. And before I even got to the stick, the head was on my hand. And it was probably a, it was probably a foot or better that the head and what neck was left jumped onto my hand. It it moved of a, a tw- a distance of about a foot to get to your hand? Of about a foot to get to my hand, yeah. With just I ac- actually probably left too much neck on. There was about two inches of neck left on that, inch and a half or so. And in the blur of the moment, from where my hand was and that stick was laying, it was darn near a foot. So, wow. And I, I, seen it, I seen it turn around and look at me, you know, which I just chalked off as, you know, strange. But then the next thing I was doing, I was peeling the snake off my hand. And how long after you had decapitated it, what, did this did it strike you? How much time uh, had passed? It was working on probably 10 minutes. She went inside, started doing some stuff. I was about ready to go back to mowing. So, you know, it was a blur. It was a blur of the moment thing. I'm not sure exact time, but it, it wasn't immediately. Yeah, but you figure after 10 minutes, it's, I mean, this, yeah, this yeah. deal is all done, you know? Absolutely. And not turn and look at me, that's for sure. <laughs> so it, it bit onto your, was it your right hand? Yep. And grabbed onto my right hand and it got a hold of my middle finger first. And I finally got it pried off after a couple minutes of struggling with it. Well, then somehow got a fang into my ring finger and I let go and back at it again trying to peel off so i stuck my fingers underneath of its front of its mouth and between the fangs got it flipped off of there finally and by that time my wife was running out you know because i've been yelling i'm, I'm bit i'm bit i'm bit mm-hmm. what did it feel like immediately i mean could you was it like a, a pin sticking into your skin or it, it was like somebody drove a 
horseshoe stake into my hand. It was an intense amount of pain and it felt like it felt like my whole hand was taken over, almost like a stake being driven through the middle of my hand. And then 30 seconds after that, I started going numb, could barely walk. I mean, it was and it was an immense amount of pain. And I I could feel the venom going in, which made it even worse. You know, I could feel it just I could feel his mouth pulsating and things working, you know, and my hand filling up with junk, venom, you know. So it was strange. Yeah, because it was it's more than just the tooth of an animal going into your skin. It's yeah, the, absolutely. It's yeah. The, the venom that is now yeah. now so Jennifer obviously heard you t- calling out that you've been bitten. Yeah. And, and she's a nurse, right? She is, she is a nurse, yes. Okay. So what did she do when she first came out? Uh, immediately she she assessed the situation and she looked at me and knew that immediately I had to get some help. So she dialed nine one one right away while she was trying to get me to the car. Uh, she stayed level headed and focused. She does I mean, she's great. She stayed level-headed, tried to keep me. I was, she was talking to me. I was talking to her, you know. Um, so the tables kind of got turned. They did. I mean, first yeah. you were saving her. Now she's saving you, right? Yeah, yeah. We're each other's knight in shining armor for sure. All right. So you got in the car, and the plan was to – she was on the phone with 911. This she was time. on the phone with 911, and dispatch told her to meet us down at the road, you know, where we're going to go to Legardo, which is a couple miles away. Um, to meet the ambulance. Well, the ambulance, I ended up going out of it and things quit working. I could no longer see. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't talk. Um, she said I started going into seizures. I can remember coming to in the church parking lot while we were waiting on the ambulance. Uh, some guy, first responder, came out of the church and he was doing chest rubs and stuff to try to keep my heart going. By that time, I was just, I was a mess. So you weren't really even fully conscious. No, no. We got down two miles down from my house and I was already going in and out of consciousness. And a a lot of that is because you got really more venom than just a typical snake bite. I did. Yeah. Usually a rattlesnake will give you a warning shot because venom is real precious to them. So had I left the head on, we probably wouldn't be sitting here today. (laughs) You know, right. they, give me a little well, it still would have been serious, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe I could have got out of there in a you know a couple of days instead of the whole ordeal. Right, right. But because it was just the head, the it just it automatically shot all of its venom. Into it did. You. It did. I took every bit of its venom. So they said that was a real bad thing to do, especially a snake that size. He was in between three and a half and four foot uh, mm-hmm. Western Diamondback. So that's pretty big head to take all that venom. Cause they don't have, the, they don't have the shut off capabilities and it's just kind of a fight or flight. You know, they're going to, they're going to give it their all that last bite. So. Right. Right. <clears throat> wow. So you, so you went down and met the ambulance and they were going where the plan was, they were going to transport you in the ambulance to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were on the, to meet us, you know, as wherever we could meet because they wanted to get us on the road as fast as they could. So they were dispatching out of there. They met us at the church. Um, they assessed the situation. I don't know how long time went by and we were sitting in the church parking lot waiting for the ambulance, which seemed like it took forever, you know, coming a couple down miles down the road and everybody was working on me. I can remember going in and out of it. I can remember talking to my daughter and telling her, you know, I don't know that I'm going to make it. I love you guys. Please, you know, please go on. You know, it was sad, you know, cause I could tell my daughter was crying. My wife was, you know, in tears and everybody was scared. I was scared too. 
Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what code 25what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Ah, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com/what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com/what. How old is your daughter? My daughter is well, she's 22 now. Okay. So she went with you in the car. I didn't realize that. She she actually drove and met my wife and I at the church. Okay. You know, because right. she was, I don't think she was here. Um, she was at home, but she only lives about two miles away where we would turn to go to town. Wow. That's got to just, I can't imagine being in a situation like that. No. I, all of a sudden, I mean, you're working in your yard. You were planning a, some kind of a family outing later that afternoon. Yeah, we were going to barbecue that afternoon. Yep. And now you're telling your wife and your daughter that you may not make it. Yeah. I mean, that's, I can't imagine going through that. No, no, it was horrible. And I can't imagine, you know, what they were thinking too. You know, my personal thought, I thought, I thought I was going to be it because just the way my body felt and the way my chest felt, I mean, I, I chalked myself up as done. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, you'd never felt those symptoms before. I never have. You know, I've, I've felt a lot of horrible things in my life, but never, never to that extent like that. So this is where the, the a helicopter came, or did you get in the ambulance and begin? They traveling? loaded me up in the ambulance and they began traveling. So we traveled about seven miles to a town called Orange Grove, and. In the ambulance, by that time, they had to pull over because they had to dispatch the helicopter. They said I would no longer make it if I had to go in an ambulance to the hospital. So I don't know how long we sat there. By then, that time I was out, you know, but my wife said it was only like a minute or so when the halo flight landed. I can remember getting on the helicopter, you know, and then in and out of the helicopter ride. I remember, you know, my bowels hurt horrible. Uh. You know, I thought I was just having a bowel movement. Come to find out, you know, I was pouring blood from every every hole that I had because that venom just turned everything to mush. It yeah, it affects every system in your body, right? It does, yeah. Just so, so I I lost a lot of blood. Hey, this is Scott jumping in here. At this point in the story, Jeremy is pretty much out of it as he's being transported to the hospital by helicopter. So I asked his wife Jennifer to record some of her thoughts and what she was going through at that time and for the next few days as Jeremy was put into a coma as the doctors did everything they could to save his life. So we'll hear from Jennifer now, and after that, we'll get back to the rest of my conversation with Jeremy. So as a nurse, when we first got into the car, um, I was just really worried because I I knew we needed the antivenin pretty quickly. Um, I had never actually dealt with a snake bite in my nursing career, so I didn't know how bad it could get. But within two miles of getting down the road, he got really bad really quick. And I knew that it was not going to be a good situation. So 911 instructed me to, there's a church just another couple miles down the road. And they had a sheriff meet me. So that was the first responder he was talking about was actually a sheriff. And he's the one that was helping, keeping him, trying to keep him when he'd go out, do the sternal rub to keep him awake. I just, I didn't know honestly what to expect because I had never dealt with a snake bite before. Just two miles down the road, he first, he just says, I can't see. I said, you can't see. And then he, he just, he, he went out of consciousness. He slumped over. And so I was telling 911, he slumped over. So I was with one, I'm driving with one hand, phone on my shoulder, and then trying to rub him on the other and get him to wake up. I had to do that several times before we got to the church. He just, he was bad. He had a couple of seizures and just kept going in and out. And I didn't, honestly didn't know if he was going to make it. They, fir- they didn't get his first dose of antivenom to him until 3.30. So this happened, the bite happened at 10.30. He got his first dose of antivenom at 3.30 because there's a process for mixing it, apparently. So that it took a while. There was a lot, of, lot going on up to that point. But the doctor in the ER pulled me out and he said, this is a really grim situation. He's really in bad shape. Um, and he said, we're going to be getting ready to move him up to ICU. And so I, at that point, I was... It, that's when it hit me that I didn't know if he was going to make it because the doctor did not look very good when he was talking to me about it. They did take him up to ICU and within like five minutes of them calling me back there that he, they, they already had stuff ready to set up to intubate him. They said that um, his organs were already starting to shut down. He was in septic shock and they wanted to um, put him into a coma while they could still control it because they didn't think it was going to be very long before his lungs were going to start to shut down. Um, So they wanted that to be controlled. So that's at the point that they put him in a coma. 
the doctor came in um, about 3.30 in the morning because they had him on, his, his pressures could not stay up. So they look at what they call the mean arterial pressure. Um, has to stay above 65 for your body to pump the blood to the organs. If it gets below 65, that's when you can pass away from that. He was constantly between 50 and 60, and they had him on four vasopressor IV medications to try to maintain that, and it wasn't working. So the doctor pulled me out of the room because he said, I know that they can hear you know, when they're in a coma, so he didn't want to talk in front of them. And he did tell me that they've done everything that they can do. He explained the uh, arterial pressure issue, the meds he was on, and they did not really think they wanted to prepare me because they didn't think he was going to make it within the next hour. I was pretty stressed at that point, And I ended up going back into the room. And I remember the nurse, she was working on IVs or something. And I grabbed his hand and I said, they, they tell me that you're going to die. You need to push that venom out of your body and um, or find the venom and push it out of your body is what I said. And literally within 30, 45 minutes, his uh, pressure started to come up and it, it, it just got better from there. It was I really believe that if I hadn't, I know the nurse looked at me like I was nuts. Why would, why would you be saying that to him? But I believe that if I hadn't have said that to him, I don't think he would have made it. With his pressure starting to come up, they were able to start decreasing the vasopressors, but it took several days um, before they were actually able to start like getting rid of those medications um, one at a time. They would get one gone and then they would start decreasing the other. The second day, he hadn't had any urine output. His kidneys had completely quit. They were just monitoring the labs on that. And then so the end of the second day is when they told me that they were going to have to do dialysis based off the lab work. Um, so I gave the okay for that. And they actually did that the next morning, got them all prepped for that because there's a, you know, a certain type of IV they have to have in for that. They did several blood transfusions because he was bleeding internally pretty badly from that. So we had several blood transfusions and they had them on two really high powered antibiotics to try to fight off with the septic shock, just the infection basically getting in the, in the body. They hadn't really done anything with his hand at that point. They just, they just kept it on a pillow, kept it covered because it was very swollen and had very large pockets where the venom um, and fluid had collected. So it had some really big pockets in his hand. Um, and it was not until Thursday that they, they did the try to wean him off and wake him up. Basically, Thursday is when he was stable and his labs had, because they said they had to keep doing the antivenom and they worked with um, and, uh, poison control. Yeah, they worked, the hospital worked with poison control, calling um, every couple of hours, going over lab work, deciding if the next dose antivenom had to be given over that course of time. By Thursday is when the lab work started to level out. It wasn't improving, but it wasn't decreasing anymore. And so that's what they look at to decide if the venom, if the antivenin's working. So Thursday's when they decided they could pull him out of the coma and started decreasing his meds for that. So I saw him come out of the coma. They had to reduce his medications to basically wake him up. They have to leave the tube in to help breathe and they, they have him breathe also so he can try to breathe over the machine. And that's how they decide whether or not he can safely come out of the coma completely. So once they did that, they did that for about an hour 
or so. And then they decided that he was good enough to pull the tube out. And so that's when they pulled the tube out. And they, they did ask him if he knew what day of the week it was. He thought it was Monday. So he thought it was the next day, even though it was Thursday. Um, he was he was very disoriented. He didn't remember the snake bite. So we were kind of having to remind him of what happened. It took several days for him to actually put it all together and remember everything that had happened. Do you remember anything while you were in the coma, hearing anything or anything at all? I don't. I don't remember anything at all. You know, I'd like to say I remember, you know, her talking to me and I can hear this voice and I, I don't remember absolutely anything. <laughs> Part of what she said was when they told her that you're probably not going to make it. And yeah. um, she came in and the phrase that she used is she told you, you have to push that venom out of your body. And yeah. Yeah. of course, you may have heard it and just not remember it now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I feel that you can hear things, you know. Um, I didn't. I didn't remember it, but I'm hoping I heard it. I must have, you know, because it was either death or push that venom out. <laughs> so when you first woke up, obviously you, you were a little or maybe a lot disoriented. What was what was that like when you came out of the coma? It was like being at a. It was like being at a circus. You know, I would be when I was conscious. I would. Everything was just had a different turn on it. You know, the, the lights, the, it was as strange. It was like a big dream. And it, it took quite a few days for me to even asking her every day, what, what happened? Hi, what are you doing here today? You know, um, am I getting to go home now? I was, I was pretty, but you knew you were in the hospital though. I did, but I, even at that time, you know, even being in the hospital, you know, I would go, I would think all of a sudden, you know, I was waking up out of my bed at home. And I'd be right back there in the hospital. So it was real strange for, you know, the first few days were pretty bad. How long was it before you kind of got oriented again to so you knew what had happened and what was going on? You know, after about the fourth day of waking up from a coma, you know, and some of the swelling going down, I started to realize what was going on, you know, and then it hit me and the severity of the, you know, the issue is kind of hit home then. You know, I could see, I could, I could focus more, you know, and then, uh, you know, I'm sure I was on quite a bit of pain meds, so they were kind of falling off so I could stay more focused at that moment, you know, but, uh, it, it was, it was just strange. It's gotta be strange just to wake up and realize that four days has passed that you didn't even know they went by. That was really weird. That was very weird. Yeah. Cause I thought it was the next day, which was Monday. You know, I thought I knew, you know, in my mind, I knew I'd been bit you know i thought i was home and done by now but yeah when when they told me and they had to tell me a few days in a row you know what was going on but yeah it was real it was real strange because i lost you know almost a week by the time i was focused again it's got to be did you feel any sense of relief because you know when you were back there getting ready to get on the helicopter you were kind of saying your last words your last goodbyes to your family and now you're awake I, and yeah. you're alive still. Yeah, I felt I felt a definite re relief, you know. Um I'm glad I'm glad I woke up. I'm not sure why, you know, what my purpose is yet, but something's out there, you know. <laughs> Maybe there's something, yeah. 
You know, I I read that the a typical for for a typical snake bite uh, yeah. rattlesnake bite, the yeah. typical anti venom is two to four doses. That's right. But you were given twenty six doses. Twenty six doses to get me back to normal. You know where they could manage my health. And even and even with that, it was still touch and go. Like it was, it was. You were you were you were right at death's door. Yeah, I was definitely. And then, I mean, even the anti-venom caused problems, you know, with my kidneys and just the high dosage of the combination between the venom and the anti-venom, you know, just gave me a whole new set. Let's talk about that, your recovery since then. Now, this happened in uh, May, yeah. right? At yep. the end of May. Mm-hmm. And as we record this, this is, uh, we're in the middle of November. So it was yeah. several months yeah. ago. It was. What happened from the time you got out of the hospital? What, what ongoing problems did you still have? When, when you left the hospital? I spent, I spent quite a few weeks in the hospital. Like, uh, you know, they had me on dialysis for quite a while. They were trying to save some of my fingers because it was starting to deteriorate and the bone was starting to show. And eventually I had skin just hanging and just a raw bone sticking out of my finger. Uh, because that's to, right where the bite was. Yeah, that's right where the bite was. Yeah, and, uh-huh. you know, the snake's not got a clean mouth, so you get all the bacteria plus the venom plus, you know, everything mixed. It was just, it was starting to... uh what do you call that gangrene in my hand? So they put me in a hyperbaric chamber and I did that every day for a couple of weeks. And it what just, what is de- that? What's a hyperbaric chamber? A hyperbaric chamber is they take you down to a low pressure to take all the pressure out of, out of it. It's like going, I think they said it's like going a hundred foot underwater was what pressure I was at. And then they pump it full of oxygen. It's supposed to help, you know, create, it's supposed to help your body regenerate, you know, being at those pressures. But, it, it didn't. It didn't work. Before that, they actually did a skin graft. They took a skin graft from my the lower belly and tried to skin graft one of my fingers that was going pretty bad. Well, the skin graft didn't take, and then that's when they started the dialysis. So I did that for a while. And they couldn't get it fixed. You know, I went to the, my hand doctor, the surgeon, and he tried to take care of it. And eventually, he's like, you know, your your fingers got to go. We got to take it off before it causes any more infection inside. Because I was on pretty powerful antibiotics and you know, still having problems. So I got rid of that one and it was healing up pretty good. And the other that, one, that was your middle finger. That that would have been my, that would have been my ring ring finger. ring finger. Yeah. Okay. So you lost your ring finger first. Yeah. Okay. And then the skin graft on my middle finger didn't take. So after about, it's probably a couple of weeks after the hyperbaric chamber, they decided just to go ahead and take it off. Cause it, it was strange, you know, it was just, my knuckle was broke right there where you bend it at the knuckle. So it was just hanging there with a piece of meat, you know, in the bone. And then I had raw bone sticking from my knuckle of my hand out to the first knuckle of my, where my skin was attached. So you, you could see it just start eating down into my hand. So they wanted to get rid of it as fast as they could. Now, was all that exposed or was it bandaged up or could you just see it all the time? Um, you know, they, they had me come in for like wound care for a little while and they found out that my wife was, you know, as high as a nurse she is. So they, they let her do the wound care at home, which, um, she was great at, you know, she did better wound care than the wound care, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, we, we kept it wrapped up, but he didn't want anything tied over. He still wanted to breathe and everything. And, you know, I just, I just couldn't get it wet. Couldn't. I'm just wondering if you, when you, when you describe it, you know, with your knuckle being broken and the bone showing and everything, did you ever get used to seeing that? 
I got used to it, but when I fling it around a little bit, my wife kind of got a little sick at it. <laughs> that used to be her thing, you know, I'd flick my finger around while I was just hanging there, but that was just to entertain myself, you know, because it, it was a pretty hard time anyway. So I, I kept positive and funny and, you know. You got to, I mean, in a situation like this, you got to find something to laugh about. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. Even if it's dark humor, but well, and then they took those. Um, by then, I was off of dialysis, you know, which I'd trade fingers for kidneys any day, you know, because I'm already diabetic, insulin dependent. So just oh, before the, this whole thing, you were diabetic. Yeah, the whole process of the dialysis was it just scared me, you know, it scared me more than the snake bite itself. Seeing all them people in there fighting for the last, you know, their last pieces of life. So I think that helped kick started me into. You know, just focusing on my health and trying to get, you know, back. Then after that, you know, I, I came home and I was bedridden pretty much for the next week. Well, it wasn't a few days after we were here, I was back in the hospital with uh, bowel problems. I hadn't had a bowel movement in about 10 days. So they were worried about that. Things started messing up inside. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't go to the bathroom very easy anymore. So I went back to the hospital and they took care of that. They got me cleaned out, you know, and made sure I was urinating fine. Um, sent me back home. I was the same problem, you know, couldn't, couldn't keep anything down. I was sick all the time, real weak. I couldn't get out of bed. They gave me some medicine to help deal with that. But even, even to now's date, I still can't eat well. I still get sick. I still get dizzy, you know, so I have a little bit of after effects of it too. How are your kidneys doing now? My kidney functions were actually just right at, if not better than what before the snake bite. Good. So I bounced back very well. So yeah, that, um, that's the best recovery uh, you could hope for then. Sure. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My kid, um, I just did my lab work today, so I'll know in the next week, you know, what they show from there. This is my, I think this is my six month checkup, something like that. Five month. So hopefully everything stays on track. So, so is there any ongoing issues other than obviously you're missing a couple of fingers? Yeah, I do a lot of remodeling. So then holding that hammer has been a little rough. Oh, you got to relearn things, huh? What's been the biggest adjustment to your everyday activity missing those two fingers? Um, everyday activity missing these two fingers. I just have to relearn how to hold everything. A cup of coffee, I can no longer hold because you hold it with your first finger and it just wants to turn. Um, writing I'm right-handed so that's been a that's been a real learning curve to hold it between the two fingers and then I kind of got to hold it with my other hand to shape my hand ah. so those are kind of everyday things and then you know it may sound funny but time for the BM time you know I'm right-handed so that's been a little bit odd to get used to for the left hand so are you becoming are you starting to become a little bit ambidextrous now absolutely absolutely because you're forced into it I'm forced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even when I do use my right hand a lot with these two fingers and the thumb, I get, I get super worn out. You know, my hand cramps, you know, uh, it kind of draws in from a previous issue. I had Guillain-Barre about seven years ago that I got a lot of nerve damage from. So my pinky draws in. So it's just kind of my two fingers. So they get worn out. So you're using different muscles than you normally would. Yeah. Have. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of somebody with real bad arthritis, the way my two fingers kind of work now, you know, they, they have to do everything. Yeah. You, so you've got a few ongoing things, but still, boy, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And it, it was headed that way, you know, luckily, luckily I'm here. 
What would have been the correct way to get rid of that snake's head? Now that now that I know, see, I grew up around snakes. I didn't want to kill the snake. I just wanted to move them. But I felt like my wife, you know, her life was in danger. So the correct move would have been to dig a hole, you know, right. It was a rock garden that we were working in. But digging a hole about a foot and burying a head immediately. That would have been the correct version, you know, instead of leaving it on the ground, you know, or trying to move it with a stick or, you know, that, that would have been correct, buried in the ground. But you were trying to get rid of it. Were you partly concerned because maybe your dogs would find it? I, I was very concerned. My dogs are very, they're very aware and they would have went straight to that head and no, I've got a service dog and he would have just, he would have picked it up defending me, standing next to me. So I don't know that they could have survived it. Hopefully it would have given me all the venom and they would have been fine, but Right. I, I was worried if one of them got bit and they it would have killed them, you know. Right. So yeah. I, I, I reached down for that stick, you know, and the stick was large. I didn't never never in a, in a million years figured that snake would have done that, you know, turned around and got me like that. Yeah, when it was that far away of you yeah. from you, especially. That's yeah. wow. The correct way it would be been uh, bury it but we had met somebody before that had the same thing happen to him he was carrying it with his shovel to the burn pile and it somehow slid down the handle and latched onto his hand with carrying it on the shovel so we talked to him quite a bit too and became friends and it's just you never know what kind of things can happen what a weird thing to have in common with somebody right? huh? yep, yep. <laughs> is there any one factor you can think of that meant you survived this rather than dying one factor right you know just the love for life you know i'm super positive i'm i'm a very good neighbor friend family i i think i'm here for my wife me and her have been a bond for 27 years now so i don't i don't definitely wouldn't want to leave her behind i got two new grandbabies you know i got purpose here to come back to you got a lot to live for yeah that's for sure that's yeah. great all right, Jeremy. Well, I appreciate you coming on and telling your story, and I'm, I'm glad things worked out the way they did. Okay, thanks, Scott. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to this episode. My goal for each show is to introduce you to people and stories that you just won't find on other podcasts. If you want to help support the show, you just need to subscribe, and that way you'll never miss an episode. You can click on any of the subscribe buttons on the website, which is whatwasthatlike.com. You'll see all the links right there at the top where you can subscribe directly to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or on whatever app you use to catch your podcasts. And you'll see there are also links to Twitter and Instagram, so you can follow us there, and I hope you do. And if you really want to connect with me and get in on the discussion with other listeners to this show, you can join our private Facebook group. You can find that at whatwasthatlike.com forward slash Facebook. And of course, you can always email me directly at scott at whatwasthatlike.com or just go to the website and click on contact. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode or a previous episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you on the next show where we'll once again ask the question, what was that like?